passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 244 post show. I am John Pollock, joined by Phil Chertark. It's our monthly chat, Phil. It's great to chat with you. Lots to discuss from tonight's card at Madison Square Garden. Um, I was thinking maybe, Phil, uh, we could, because right now Canelo and Kovalev are about to step into the ring for their fight. So what if we just pause the show for the next 40 minutes and all the people at home can just wait and once the main event's over, then we can go into our review because we don't want to overlap here and we'll just make everybody wait. Well, I'm, you know, I think that's a great idea. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just lie down on my couch. And while I'm lying down on my couch, the audience can listen to the sound of me lying down on my couch as they watch this, you know, these two great combatants go at it. So if anyone uh, is just uh, getting whiplash from this, uh, going over everyone's head. So what happened on Saturday night was that DAZN had their big fight with uh, with Canelo and and Sergey Kovalev in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. And ahead of time, they had announced that the main event was not going to start until Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal finished their fight in Madison Square Garden. And this was met, I think, with uh, some positivity because you do have quite a cross-section of fans that probably wanted to see both fights, some you know, significant fights happening on the same night. However, if you had decided to, whether it be, well, for mainly the people that tuned in or, or went live to the MGM Grand Garden Arena, uh, this thing was obviously not timed out very well because by the time it was just after midnight, they were ready for the main event of the, the boxing card. But at this point, we weren't even at the main event in New York City. So what they did at MGM Grand was they piped in the fight between Diaz and Masvidal. They bought the pay-per-view in Las Vegas, and they aired the fight, and all the people, including Saul Canelo Alvarez, who has a $365 million contract, had to just sit on a couch and wait for this fight across the country to end, and they are just now on their way to the ring at quarter after one in the morning unbelievable i i just i can't believe this it's perplexing it's it's well i i guess it's not that perplexing if you follow boxing and you just sort of observe how the broadcasting generally is really poor espn does a, a good job of it uh when they cover it and they have their own events uh, but the, the old school boxing people, oh my gosh, it's just, it's, it's so awful. And the UFC production is so much better. And, and like, 
we were sort of mentioning this off air. The UFC, where there was so many great early knockouts tonight, so there was a lot of airtime to fill. So the UFC was prepared with packages and commentary, insightful commentary about not just the main event, but other fights on the card. Here, I mean, people are left. What, what are they doing? I mean, yeah, I guess the fans are entertained, but what about the people at home who don't care for Nate Diaz versus uh, Jorge Masvidal? What are you telling those people? It's well, like, well, I mean, look at this. This is from uh, Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports, who I guess is in Vegas for this card, covering it. And he's wrote, covering the boxing fight. Yes. Uh, okay. He's, he said here, People paid more than $400 face value for the cheapest seats, and they wow. had to sit around watching an MMA ev- uh, event and wait more than 90 minutes for the fight they came to see. Unbelievably absurd. And I can understand that you're trying to appease fans that want to watch both of these, but there is a line that, you know, your your customer base at the MGM Grand, I think that's just what a... Like, what, what percentage of this audience at the MGM Grand spent all this money and they're just sitting around and, and watching this? It just seemed like it was very poor planning to not have a proper estimate of, you know, tonight's card. It featured like that main card started. We had a first round stoppage and then we had a bunch of decisions and then a main event that did not even go five rounds. Like, this was not an absurdly long card. The UFC show was not delayed and yet. They really missed the mark on just timing this to, you know, I can understand, you know, a 20 to 30 minute delay. You're used to that for big boxing fights at times. But, man, 90 minutes, as Kevin Ioli is stating here, just seems to be like a turnoff if you had bought a ticket there and did not have an interest in watching this MMA fight in another time zone from the other side of the country. Yeah, it was clearly aimed at the, the I guess, the television the subscriber audience not at all at uh, I guess you know, they the figured like I, I'm sure like tonight's UFC card did very very well and I'm sure that they felt that if we start this fight we are potentially le- leaving customers or money on the table of ones that want to finish this fight and then sign up for the zone and watch this this next card but well, well I have uh, to wonder uh, what the number would have been that that was look I mean the zone is crazy, if you ask me. They're, they put three hundred whatever three hundred fifty million dollars into Canelo here. Three sixty five. Okay, so they're putting they're they're putting Canelo effectively up against the UFC brand here because it's it's not just Nate and Jorge and all the great fights. It's the whole legacy that they've built to this event, and uh, and like. It's it's sort of not fair to the guy, and it's like he's stepping like people aren't even talking about this fight. So I don't know. I I understand that these streaming wars are crazy intense, and it's awesome for fight fans because what we're getting is is incredible in the amount of content that we're getting now. But uh, I have to be a little bit uh, you know critical of the tactics of uh DAZN right now because i don't think they're doing uh their subscribers and uh certainly not the fan live fans any favors here yeah i think it's mainly the the live fans tonight at um that that ultimately had to deal with this i just look at it the other way around that i could not fathom that had the canelo alvarez fight been earlier that the ufc would have paused and 
aired the boxing fight inside their arena before they went to Diaz and Masvidal. It was like, you know, you have competition, but you're not going to uh, jeopardize your own event uh, because of outside forces. Well, what does the UFC do when when it's like Floyd Mayweather fighting? They well, they don't on, go up against Mayweather fights, which n- would be. But no, but they do. Well, they don't go up against it, but they'll put on a fight night from like you know Florida on that finishes forty five minutes before the Floyd fight, because they know that fight, and that's like on yes, you know, a free show that they'd put on Fox. You well, know, I'm, what I tr- mean? I'm trying to remember like the last. The last fight was the Mayweather-Andre Berto fight, and I don't think the UFC ran a okay, show that May- night. They definitely didn't run against Mayweather May- and Pacquiao, okay. but no, no, no. you're probably right. There probably were Mayweather there, fights. Uh, I don't mean that they're necessarily competing. I feel like they're piggybacking off of the fight audience that's watched right. that night, and they rather have and, – and they think that the fight on audience is going to watch – UFC as an undercard versus boxing as an undercard. So they put on one of those fight nights where maybe Mike Perry is the main event. I'd have to go back. And it's, I, 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 when I say Floyd Mayweather, I'm not, uh, like I just meant that as an example. I'm, I just mean that there's, I know that there's big boxing events that have happened where the UFC has put on sort of these like smaller tier events and, it, you know, they lead into the boxing because they want to capture that audience. Well, let's dive into this UFC show from Madison Square Garden, their fourth consecutive November event from New York City featuring, I mean, we go back to November of 2016, which was Eddie Alvarez dropping the lightweight title to Conor McGregor. That was a card I was at, actually. Oh, yeah. That was the election, right? Yes. That was the week of the US election, which what a tie into tonight's event. And then uh, this... Following that, we had the big uh, three title fights two years back, including George St. Pierre beating Michael Bisping. Uh, Last year, Daniel Cormier, Derek Lewis, maybe a less remembered Madison Square Garden card. Uh, But tonight, what a show we got. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Entertaining top to bottom. Certainly anticlimactic towards the end there. But nonetheless, I I don't think anyone is terribly dissatisfied. Uh, we'll kind of blitz through some of these uh, prelim fights. In the opener, uh, Hakeem uh, Dawadu defeated uh, Julio Arce uh, 29-28 in two judges' scorecards for uh, Dawadu and one for Arce. I had uh, Dawadu winning the first two rounds, Arce the third round, um, which was which was uh, close, but Arce had a strong final minute with uh, landing several big left hands. Uh, Dawadu, you know, really lightning fast leg kicks and... It was only kind of Arche coming on at the end. But uh, Hakeem Dawadu afterwards, he said, I don't want to be in the opening fight any longer, and I'd like to fight in Canada next. So I think fighting in Canada, reasonable demand maybe uh, once you get a victory. They're like, sure, we'll throw you on a Canadian card. Yeah, put him on a Canadian card. He can definitely be in a much improved spot over uh – you know, the beginning of an event. But, hey, you fought in Madison Square Garden on an awesome card, and uh, you were overshadowed by much, much more. Yeah, and also his fourth win in a row. He lost his debut in the UFC, but now has put a little streak together at 145 pounds. Second fight of the night, we go to welterweight action. We had Lyman Good against Chance Rencounter. I made the joke, Phil. There was a good chance this was going to be a great fight. Well, there was a good chance it was going to be a great fight. It, I wouldn't say that that great would be overstating it. No, yeah, I mean, there was a good chance that it would be an entertaining fight. 
Uh, Lyman Good uh, looked great in the first two rounds here. In the first round, he outlanded uh, Ren Counter 38 to 10. And this was a fight all about uh, Good fighting at distance and Ren Counter, who, interestingly enough, is a training partner of one of our commentators, Dominic Cruz, who is calling the show with Joe Rogan and John Anik. How do you feel it's handled when you have... You know, certain conflicts in the broadcast booth with active fighters, with teammates uh, competing. How do you feel Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz primarily handle those in in particular this fight? So uh, I always uh, I, I love this question because I was thinking the same thing and I was thinking about this tonight, not necessarily particularly in this context, but because I thought Dominic Cruz was doing did a terrific job tonight. I, I was really uh, I, I thought. Some of his last few events, I wasn't as uh, high on him as I had been on the past. But tonight, he was really on point. Um, not necessarily in this fight, but in the past, him and Cormier, I always feel the tension a little bit about what what they're 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 saying. Now, the Cormier in his last commentary gig, he was uh, critiquing his teammate. Um, that's right. And I thought he did a very fair job. I mean, he yes. said, yeah, he, he was very critical. He was, so, he was sort of coaching him. You know, he was saying, yeah. hey, go after it. You know, you got you got to turn this around. You got it. So uh, so I thought that that was actually really cool. In the case of Dominic Cruz, I think he's very cognizant of it. He 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 tries his best. You can feel the tension, though. There was a, another event. It was the last event he called. I can't recall, but he also had a teammate on. Uh, it was Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy C. Stevens. And, you know, it was clear what was going on in that fight. He was he was eating it a lot and uh, in the first two rounds at least. And um, but uh, so I, I think he does a good job. It's a fair job. You can hear the conflict. I think it's OK. It adds a level of insight to the commentary, something interesting. But it is a little bit awkward and uncomfortable i do get that sensation yeah I, I like the fact that right off the bat they disclose it at the beginning so the viewer at home understands what the relationship is here and they're not trying to hide the fact like this is just some other fighter that he's calling the fight in but where the analysis becomes very interesting is not so much when the training partner is doing well but when they're down in a fight and when they're struggling and you can certainly see because here is a chance for a Dominic Cruz or a Daniel Cormier to be very honest about their shortcomings because they see them in the gym. And I think we we saw a bit of that from Cruz in this fight. In particular, in the first round, we saw Good just starting to blast at him. And Cruz is like uh, reacting, saying, I want to see some wrestling right now. And uh, he's just getting uh, blitzed here. And that kind of was the critique of uh, Ren Counter here is that he's a great wrestler, but didn't rely on his wrestling at all here. So he's down two rounds. And then in the third, it's good uh, hitting him with his jab and then busts up Ren Counter's nose, goes back to the jab and is having a lot of success with that, drops him with a straight right and just finishes him with strikes. 203 of the third round. So Lyman Good gets the victory. Uh, this coming off that submission loss he had to Damian Maya earlier this year. So uh, Good, who was the favorite, uh, stops Chance Rent Counter. Yeah, nice win. Nice, you know, beat him down over three rounds, just superior striking. You know, losing to Damian Maya is no shame. It, it, you know, they kind of, th after every time Damian Maya loses, they throw in these like up and comers and to see if they can get past them. They try to give him this gatekeeper status. 
And Lyman Good fell short there, and he got a nice bounce back. And, you know, let's build him up, back up. Uh, I think he has a lot of potential. Uh, and uh, I'd like to see him against, you know, maybe a top 15 guy. Yeah, an enormous welterweight, too. Just uh, mm. gigantic here. Yeah, or what's he ranked right now, actually? Maybe, or is he? He's not ranked, is he? Lyman Good, I, I don't Yeah, know. I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it, because that, that division's stacked, right? So um, we then had our final fight pass fight of the evening, which was a women's flyweight fight. I should say catchweight fight because Jennifer Maya, for the second fight in a row, missed weight. She came in 127.2 pounds after missing weight against Roxanne Modafferi back in July. And they stated that she is going to work with her nutritionist for her next fight, not indicating that she's going to move up in weight. I'd be curious if it's going to necessarily be a no, we want you to go up to 135 pound situation because I don't know how much leverage you have if you're Jennifer Maya to try and convince the UFC that you can make this weight after two failed attempts. Um, yeah, uh, maybe it's as simple as something, you know, getting the Performance Institute involved. Um, so I, I, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know really what the protocol is. I mean, last time she missed it by three pounds. So I guess this is an improvement. And she has, she, <laughs> yeah, has she made... only missed by uh, 1.2 pounds this time. So next time, uh, she could be right on the mark to hit 126. So we'll see. Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they, it, it it's a division with it's a division with fewer contenders so i th- feel like it makes more sense to try to get her to fit in at 125 uh caitlin chukagan on the other hand she has uh looked really great at 125 pounds she's won four of her last five fights and is coming off a unanimous decision victory over joanne calderwood back at ufc 238 and chukagan she had a four inch reach advantage here and kind of just Worked uh, circling on the outside and le- landing as she would see fit. And it was Jennifer Maya who really couldn't uh, put together like any kind of uh, combinations. It was just land a shot and then really couldn't build upon it. Into the third round, Maya had her best round here. She was able to tag Chukagian with a right hand. And uh, from there, Chukagian went for the leg, tried to chase her down. And Maya got a takedown into half guard with about a minute left Uh I scored this one 29-28. Did you see it any differently, Phil? No, no differently. Chikagian, she so, showed some impressive uh, stand-up skills, a little jives and like some cheeky moves and landed some, you know, sharp strikes, but uh, nothing that would suggest to me that she has any opportunity to challenge for a uh, title. No, and that's what she was calling for here. But I mean, kind of threw a wet blanket on her own challenge. She said, uh, everyone, yeah, knows, say name. everyone yeah. knows the fight I want, but I'm not expecting to get it. So whoever they uh, give to me, I'll just keep fighting. And if you're the UFC matchmakers, you certainly weren't holding a gun to their head to yeah, <laughs> get that I, next fight. Yeah, because yeah, cause I totally know who you are, and I know who you want to fight next. What? Yeah. Unbelievable. This is um, the equivalent of uh, going to your boss saying uh, – I deserve a raise. I know I'm not going to get one, so I'm going to continue to do the exact same job for the amount you're paying me. And the boss says, 
I had some extra room in the budget, but you know what? We'll find, we'll, we'll find great use because uh, Tony and Sales just is, uh, got the Christmas bonus. Uh, so Caitlin Jukagian gets the victory here, but I don't think in the fashion that people are necessarily clamoring for her to get the winner of uh, Valentina Shevchenko's next fight. On to the ESPN2 portion. And uh, earlier, Joe Rogan was openly asking, uh, will he be able to say motherfucker on the ESPN2 broadcast? And we did get uh, a fucker from Joe Rogan on the pay-per-view, but he was the only one because everyone else was uh, skirting around the the title uh, and just coming up with whatever way they could not say baddest motherfucker on this broadcast. It was actually comical at times. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, and it was certainly noticeable when Joe Rogan busted his out, and uh, I thought it was fine. It was good, right? Like, you don't want to hear that dropped all night. You know, you know, you're going to hear some of that in the post fight, uh, or there's a potential for that in some post fight interviews, but we don't need that like being splashed around everywhere. Andre Arlovsky versus Yarzinho Rosenstruck was our heavyweight fight. Arlovsky had gone to a decision in his last eight fights coming into this one. And that streak ended. He was taking on Rosenstruck, who is 2-0 in the UFC. His last fight lasted nine seconds when he stopped Alan Croder. And, well, this one went three times the length. They went 29 seconds, and Rosenstruck struck Arlovsky. And Arlovsky walked into this left hand, and he just dropped. This was very similar to his knockout loss against uh, Fedor Emelianenko for affliction back in, well, over 10 years ago now. And, man, Rosenstruck has some incredible power, uh, stops Arlovsky, who, um, you know, has fought four times last year and then was coming off a decision win over Ben Rothwell back in July. Uh, So Rosenstruck, clearly a big heavyweight prospect for them, and... Certainly is going to get a bigger name opponent next. Uh, how impressed were you with Rosenstruck here? Our first brutal knockout of the night. Oh, I was extremely impressed. I mean, he's opened this fight with a, a jab that staggered Arlovsky. Yes. Yeah. He, he threw power with every shot. And the knockout shot was like he was fading. Like, you know, we when we talk about uh, Nganu's knockout power, you know, he's like loading up on these like – whiplash type uh strikes but uh ro what how, what's how's his name rosenstruck Rose, rosenstruck. Yeah. rosenstruck okay this is the first time i've seen him fight rosenstruck i mean he's throwing short shots he's not even throwing that hard and the look just devastating i mean he's so compact as well it, 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 it the, the amount of power that he's generating it, it's terrifying how high of an opponent do you go with him? Um, do you are you looking? Um, you know, certainly top fifteen, but are you even looking higher? Like this is a very impressive highlight reel knockout. Um, you know, I would say it, the, this is eleven through fifteen. You've got Alexei Olenek, uh, Augusto Sakai, Sergey Pavlovich, Maurice Green, and Sergey Spivak. So of those, I would say one of them has a relative name in Olenek. The others, uh, I think it's. I don't know. It's almost like a lateral movement for him. I don't know if he's above that at this point. Yeah. I mean, well, where's Stefan Struve at? Is he, is he Stefan ranked? Struve is not top 15. Is not top 15. No. 
I mean, I'd still, I mean, I still think that's he, fine. He is, uh, he, he's still planning to come out of retirement. So he's, kind oh, of he, the oh, he's retired. I didn't realize he, he had retired at, at one point, but oh. I believe he's, uh, he's on the comeback trail. Okay. So, um, well, maybe this will be his welcome back party. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's fighting, he's fighting Ben Rothwell in a few weeks. Okay. So, so, so there you so, go. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, uh, the, I, 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 think that you, I still think you maybe want to get I mean obviously this was an amazing showcase a huge card let's let's keep the ball rolling on this idea let's give them some guys who maybe you know put their chin up and uh you know still like he beat a veteran like sure <laughs> former UFC champion so pretty impressive uh, uh wh- what do you think this means for Andre Orlovsky at this point this is a guy that has you know he has defied age and he has been counted out many times, but he has also suffered a lot of knockout losses. Um, at, is this a critical one for him in terms of his tenure with the UFC? And I mean, do, do, do you think that because I feel Andre Arlovsky is going to continue fighting until he has has no more options. Um, that just seems to be the kind of fighter he is. But uh, do you have any prognosis on what's next for him? Um. That could be the case. I mean, he's still being offered fights in the UFC. He's still with a top team and a top coach. He's been going the distance with all these guys. Uh, It's not like he's being blown out in these fights either. So I feel he gets one more, but it's just, it's just the totality, uh, especially like that run of knockouts that this guy was having, um, you know, almost. Eight years ago at this point, uh, you just wonder what the cumulative damage has been to this guy and just, you know, how, how many are left for him to take. I don't disagree. Like, I, I thought he, he could have retired many, 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 many moons ago on that rough loss that we saw. And, and you know, to be fair to him, I counted him out and he, he proved me wrong, um, which is always a story that I like to hear. But I, I like – He's certainly not going to contend for a title in the UFC. And, I mean, I don't know what his goals are. Maybe it's just make as much money as he can. You know, I can't fault him for that, but I don't know that to be his goal. So, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's rough. I don't, know, I don't know what to say. I'm torn, I guess. Yeah. yeah like, just uh, his last six fights, he w- he has one win – Four losses and a no contest, which was against Walt Harris, where it was originally a split decision win for Harris, but then uh, he had a positive drug test uh, afterwards. So, and you know what? A lot of those fights were split decision losses. Like they were really close fights. He, he, I thought he maybe could won, or you know, they they were tight. Like yep. so, yeah, there were two splits in here, and. Yeah, I, I I think he probably does get another fight, but I mean this guy's been active. This was his third fight this year. He had four last year. It's three before that. He's been fighting like three fights every year uh, since 2015. He had a he had a slow year of two fights that year. So the guy's been busy. Uh, we will see what is next for him. Continuing on, we go to. Brad Tavares returning uh, after a long layoff. He hasn't fought since July of last year, which was when he dropped the decision to Israel Adesanya. And he was taking on Edmund Shabazian, a 10-0 middleweight who has been uh, impressive here. Only 21 years of age and was coming off a submission win over Jack Marshman back in July at UFC 239. And 
Shabazian dropped him with a right hand and proceeded to attack. Tavares made it back to his feet and got hit with knees. And then a picture-perfect left head kick drops Tavares. This one is over. Two minutes, 27 seconds of the first round. Edmund Shabazian by knockout, improving to 11-0. And a lot of hype surrounding Edmund Shabazian. Absolutely, and and deservedly so. Like incredibly measured performance here. Like when he had uh, Tavares hurt, he he uh, you know he went in for the kill, but made sure to keep his distance, keep his guard up, and was just pinpoint. Uh, yeah, extremely impressive. I uh, I texted you during this. This is the redemption of Edmund Tarverdian, Edmund Shabazian. Uh- I mean, maybe. I mean, he looks like a world beater right now. So, um, and as uh, the commentary team brought up, he's been with Edmund since he was, what, 12 years old or some, like, you know, very young, yeah. right? Wh- which is only nine years ago, everybody. Oh, really? <laughs> he's, he's 21 right now. Oh, did I get crazy. that? Did I get that right? 12 years old? Okay. I uh, hope I got it right. I hope I got he, it right. He's, I, I mean, it was a young age. Uh, I'm sure yeah. you're in the ballpark. So, yeah, very, imp- very impressed with how composed he was after getting the initial knockdown and not getting overly excited. He was very measured. And, I mean, Brad Tavares has been stopped uh, twice before in his career. This is quite the accomplishment for Edmund Shabazian to defeat someone the level of Brad Tavares, who is an extremely uh, tough out at 185 pounds. So, I... Man, this was an interesting fight of guys that are on the rise and Edmund Shabazian in that uh, that top list, I think, coming out of this show. Shane Burgos versus Makwan Amerkani, who had quite a lot of steam behind him at a point, but just kind of a, an inconsistency with some of his fights. Uh, he has been uh, – he's 15-3, and three, uh, lost a split decision to Arnold Allen all the way back in March of 2017, and since then has had wins over Jason Knight and Chris Fish gold. So not the most active, uh, but we got to see here where his skill sets were at. And in the first round, uh, it was looking pretty positive. He landed this right hand and cut open Shane Burgos above the left eye and then controlled him with a waist lock, uh, threatened with a guillotine, tried to switch to a Dars. Really solid round for Amir Khani. But then the tables turned in the second. Burgos uh, attacked the body and just shut down Amir Khani. was landing big shots in his guard with hammer fists and Burgos certainly had his second wind and it continued in the third where he was just breaking down Amir Khani. This was a pretty dominant round. He was... Um, he rocked him with his left hand. Then he had him up against the fence and was drilling uh, Amir Khani with elbows to the side of the head and then going back to the body and put him down with about 28 seconds left in the fight. And Burgos won by TKO here in the third. Just a very solid turnaround for Burgos uh, controlling the second and dominating the third before the referee stepped in. Uh, yeah, Um Amir Khani definitely got the first round with the big shot he landed early and his uh, takedown and then subsequent submission attempts. But even at the end of the first round, you could see that he was tiring. I mean, he was slow to get up. Um, And then the second round, the just relentless body shots that Burgos put on. And and I I mean, uh, Amir Khani couldn't even land anything in that round at all. I mean, he was able to secure uh, the body lock again, but couldn't lead to a takedown. 
And uh, then going into the third round, Burgos just continued with the body shots. And it looked pretty clear that um, Americani was not in the fight. He was super slow on the get-ups. Burgos was, you know, dropping him. And uh, he was slow to get up. And I I thought, personally, I thought with about like three minutes to go in the third, maybe even more, that this fight was over. And it needed to be stopped. And I was... I was hoping that the corner was going to throw it in because it just looked like he was going to get hit to the body until his hands dropped and he was just going to get blasted up top. And, you know, that's pretty much what happened. And yeah, I mean, this, and this fortunately, was... it wasn't that bad. Like it could have been way worse. But uh. yeah, this was going to be a 10-8 round had it gone 28 seconds longer. It was a dominant, dominant end for Shane Burgos here. And then the the featured prelim fight, this was a, an intriguing one on paper. Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker. And interestingly enough, uh, Johnny Walker was the favorite coming into this fight. Um, in spite of Corey Anderson winning his last three fights over Patrick Cummins, Glover Teixeira, and Iller Latifi, uh, Johnny Walker is coming off of uh, a minute 57 win over Khalil Roundtree Jr., 15-second stoppage of Justin Ledette, and then Misha Serkinov in 36 seconds. So... It's one of those deceptive records where, I mean, unless you're going back to non-UFC competition, it, there's still a big question mark of how is this guy going to deal with adversity? What happens if he gets out of the first round? Um, there were There's still a lot of unknowns about him, and I think Corey Anderson was looking to uh, exploit that. So Johnny Walker starts his fight, and he's doing all his wild movement, and Anderson just clinches with him and then nails him with this overhand right that puts Johnny Walker down. And uh, Johnny Walker, did he go down easily? Did, did <laughs> Okay, you did get that one. Thank you. <laughs> it's late at night, everyone. Uh, Johnny Walker, all of a sudden, he is not doing his erratic movements. He had this look of, oh, my God, I am in – the cage with this man who is trying to drill my head off and Corey anderson just went beast in 25 8 here he followed with left shots he took him down with a body lock and then there's this brutal right hand where johnny walker's head snaps back and the referee just stands in uh johnny walker stopped on his feet at 207 of the first round, and Corey Anderson just lost it afterwards. He is yelling at Johnny Walker. He's yelling at their corner. He's yelling at Joe Rogan. Then he's yelling at Mick Maynard. He was... You've never seen a man so furious that he won. But he, I guess, in his post-fight, thought that he was very... I think that he felt he was very overlooked in this fight. He was the underdog and felt like he was being placed as a stepping stone. And... No, this guy has his eyes on the light heavyweight title, and I can't say that this was a very impressive performance from Corey Anderson, probably his most spectacular he's had in the UFC. I don't know if he leapfrogs Dominic Reyes after that Chris Weidman victory, but um, those are the two contenders for Jon Jones at light heavyweight. Yeah, I don't think he leapfrogs either, but he certainly made a statement. He made a name for himself. He stood out on a card where there were a lot of people who stood out um so i think it's great especially considering he's been so sort of like ho-hum throughout his career um and he's he really been, he's took- been too busy beasting <laughs> that's right you know on with, with uh daylight savings time uh about to kick in you literally could be beasting for 25 <laughs> hours 
Because we are about to gain an hour. And, well, you know what? And next year, because of a leap year, you could potentially be beast in 24 seven. 25, seven. eight. <laughs> Couldn't you? Yeah, I because you get the extra day. That's right. So next next year, it could, it could work out for – it's Corey Anderson's year next year. If he's not fighting John Jones on February 29th next year, then someone has just greatly screwed something up. <laughs> Dude, February 29th is a Saturday. Like is, oh there, is, is there nothing that writes itself better than Beaston 25-8 fighting John Jones on February 29th next year? Uh, there's a little bit too ma- much math for 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 the, the cell. I, I don't want to tweet this out because someone will ruin our theory and have uh, way too much of a mathematic breakdown of this. Um, no, uh, I if if you are uh, w- what fight are you are you more intrigued with with if you're disqualifying John Jones moving to uh, heavyweight or uh, some fight that comes out of left field? If you're looking at Dominic Reyes, Corey Anderson, uh, what sparks your interest more if you're picking one or the other? I, I think Dominic Reyes right now, I mean, he's undefeated. He hasn't really shown um, tremendous weakness in the octagon. Corey Anderson has been on a good run, but he has had some defeats and setbacks. And, and I, yeah, I, I just think that Reyes has made more of a statement. Um, Especially he, stopping Chris Weidman. Like if he had had like a dull decision, there might be the argument that Corey Anderson leapfrogged him. But I think in the nature – that Reyes won, coupled with the streak he's on, I, I think he has to be the front runner. Yeah, unless John Jones has no interest in these fighters that are, you know, just not adding much to that. He's kind of carrying the load promotional, promotionally. I guess it's that's fine. I mean, if you can sit out and not get paid, like th- those are paychecks. I mean, look at this point, if John, jo- if you're John Jones and you want to get paid then maybe your approach needs to be, okay, UFC, then pay me regardless. I don't care if you put me up against Brock Lesnar or Corey Anderson. You pay me a million or 10 million or whatever is the number that will make sure I'm happy. Yeah. If if the roles were reversed in this fight, I could certainly have seen Johnny Walker. If he had stopped Corey Anderson in the first round, I really could have seen this guy. they just go with Johnny Walker. Yeah, I, I I think so as well. Um, yeah, and Johnny Walker, you know, hopefully he can learn a lesson from this because you know he you know he comes in this he, he you know he's smooth and relaxed he's juking and driving but you know you got to get off right he didn't get off at all and then he eats this shot from Corey Anderson and he kind of smiles at it like it didn't hurt him but like Corey Anderson isn't thinking about well I don't care if you react I I threw a shot and it landed. So guess what? Here comes a three-punch combo to follow. So he just, you know, you got to be mentally in it a little bit more. You got I think the experience maybe hopefully will help him and uh, you know, we can reset the quick roll on him. He still has a lot of potential. He moves really well. He's huge. And even when he got rocked, he was able to get up and uh, you know kind of survive for a bit but Corey Anderson you know really uh did a good job of making sure he got the finish on to the pay-per-view we go and this is when Donald Trump arrived at Madison Square Garden and didn't show up for the early prelims this guy was a late arriver and was flanked by uh secret service agents and i i guess took in the whole card 
they they only showed him once on camera during the broadcast. It was not as though they were frequently cutting cutting away to Donald Trump. It was one on camera and that was it. Yeah, yeah. They didn't make a, a they didn't make a big deal out of it other than the one acknowledgement. Yeah. Well, I think that they realized, you know, they're entertainment. They're not there to to be political. Um, they 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 celebrated the concept that this was the first time that any president had been at a UFC event, and that was it. People pay for fights, not for politics, and so I think that was actually a good move. I mean, we did have a, a shout out from uh, Derek Lewis. Uh, that's right, um, but uh, I think it was a good call. I mean, you did you could see the Secret Service throughout plenty of shots throughout the night, um, it, so it was it was noticeable for sure. Um, but it was interesting too. Like I sort of I predicted that that he might like he would sit cage side. Like they wouldn't show him, you know, like in like some VIP booth. You know, he'd be right there because it's sort of his persona. Yeah, it it was interesting that here you had this main card and you were gonna have five winners with a live microphone on a pay per view broadcast that could have addressed. The president of the United States, a very polarizing figure, and I wasn't expecting it to happen on this show, but it is kind of interesting when you look at a a sporting event where you have the dynamic of these athletes being interviewed live, and if you had someone that was maybe more uh, politically outspoken, like what a platform you were presented with, and that would have been a major story coming out of this because there were press assigned to cover this strictly because the president was attending this. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, I thought about a whole bunch of uh, things uh, sort of relating to this. First of all, you know, there was talk is like, is Cole, uh, you know, it would be great for the UFC to put Colby beside the president or something of that nature. But let's first, like, the, the they're already taking a massive security risk bringing the president to this event. Like, yes, he does these arena tours, but those are, you know, they're controlling those. And then, you know, think about a situation like Habib Nurmagomedov, right? Like what would happen if a fighter jumped over the cage and leaped into the crowd? Oh, he you know, was... you, right. So so already there's a risk. So the, so I think they can, the, you know, they made sure to control that. Um, and then, yeah, it, I mean, it, 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 I guess it, it, it could have been, uh, a little bit dicey with if somebody said anything. I, I wonder if there was like even more explicit instructions because nobody jumped on the cage. Yeah. You're right. It would not surprise me. I don't know it for a fact, but yeah, the idea of a, of a Jose Aldo celebration, um, you, you could only imagine what the scene would have been like if some fighter just got overly excited and jumped the cage or something and ran into the crowd. Um, yeah, yeah, it'd be it'd be really interesting to know what the parameters were with uh with Trump being there of you know certain restrictions that maybe the fighters were informed of by the commission or by the UFC itself. So yeah, now I we just want final note on this topic just get off it. I wonder I, I was wondering like what's the over under that the New York Times or the Washington Post will actually print the word motherfucker tomorrow? Zero. You think, you know, no, no chance. I mean that like, 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 you know, even in, you know, just saying like, this tells you the state of the country or. The oh, you'll, you'll probably get some opinion. You, you Maybe we get an opinion piece at some kind of syndicated writer who will talk about the, uh, the depths of the, the president attending human cockfighting on a Saturday night in New York. <laughs> the top of the, I, I, so, you know, 
I, I had to see what the reaction was. And on the Donald Reddit, which is the, you know, the, the, the sort of like cult of personality thing that follows the president, uh, the top post was, of course, first you have first president to attend UFC event. But then deep in the comments was, well, not deep in the comments, highest voted comment was, remember when John McCain said the UFC was human cockfighting? Fuck John McCain. That's awful. Well, uh, what, what what other what other threat uh, is that? The only UFC related threat on on the or, Don- or topic. I, I I mean I I'm I'm not you know I'm not, I don't dive into that world. I, I I try to save myself from those. You're a lurker. Of, uh, it, yeah, I just like from time to time I peek in to see what these people are like. You know what's conjuring in their minds, right? You know I have to keep up with what's going on. Well, the pay-per-view began with Kevin Lee and Gregor Gillespie. Um, Kevin Lee, in his last fight, had moved up to welterweight. But for this one, uh, not only was he going to train with TriStar in Montreal under Firas Sahabi, but he's coming back down to lightweight for this fight and taking on what uh, an opponent you're drawing here. Undefeated Gregor Gillespie, who, for those unfamiliar, uh, an NCAA Division I champion and... Uh, 13-0 as a MMA fighter, 6-0 in the UFC. Uh, his last five fights have been stoppages, including Yancey Medeiros this past January. So this was – and Gregor Gillespie, to show you the respect he got from oddsmakers, was the favorite over Kevin Lee in this fight. But they start out, and both are going at one another with jabs, and it's Gillespie that's starting to find a home for his right hand, and he cuts Kevin Lee under the left eye. But then as – Kevin Lee is setting him up near the fence. He connects with a left head kick and just flatlines Gregor Gillespie. He goes completely out and takes one more hammer fist. This was among the more violent KOs you are going to see. Uh, 247 of the first round. I didn't think anything would touch Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren this year, but... This was damn close. This was just an unbelievable knockout. Frightening to watch in real time. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was pretty brutal. Uh, it was really the punch that landed first that sort of led to the kick because the way that the punch landed, uh, it was a solid shot, but Gillespie sort of rolled with it, and it was directly in line with the kick that uh, Kevin Lee was throwing at the end of the combination. And so he, it just landed right off the end of it. Uh, he was knocked out immediately. He fell backwards into the cage. Uh, it, it was fairly gruesome. Yeah, just a devastating knockout for uh, Kevin Lee. So seems to be very happy training under Firas Sahabi. And I, I can't imagine that he leaves and, and goes back to welterweight after this. It seems like this is going to be his uh, his rebirth at 155 pounds and defeating a really quality lightweight who was on the rise in Gregor Gillespie. So this was a tremendous win for one Kevin Lee. Yeah, I mean, on a note, he also had this thing on his chest, this thing that looked like staph infection that, interestingly enough, the commentators made no mention of at all, even though the last time this happened, the talked about it openly yeah and that's the kind of thing that joe rogan typically narrows in on and focuses on heavily and there was no mention of this and it was impossible to ignore whatever this was on his chest it was it was sizable 
Uh, Canelo just knocked out Kovalev in the 11th. Wow. All right. Yeah. Now we can start the show. (laughs) (laughs) So Derek Lewis, Blagoy Ivanov in heavyweight action next. Uh, This one ended up going three rounds, which on paper you would say, hmm, I – don't know how entertaining that would be, but you would be wrong. This was uh, a fight where uh, technical proficiency was at a low, but this was just a wild fight between these two. Uh, Lewis, Lewis, it he's he was working with a new n- nutritionist for this fight, and he seemed to be in the best condition I can recall seeing him in. Uh, so much so, I think he got a little overzealous in the first round because he threw this head kick. And Derek Lewis just has an affinity for throwing these kicks. And I don't quite understand why. This is a man that uh, cuts down to make 265 pounds, threw a kick, and was on his back within seconds. But Lewis, I mean, he's underneath, and then he just decided enough. And he got right to his feet and then just attacked uh, Ivanov with an uppercut and threw another kick at him. Into the second they go, each are landing big shots on one another, but neither is going down. Ivanov um, gets a takedown and goes to side control, works for a key lock. Again, Lewis just escapes and attacks with more uppercuts, and it's Ivanov and him exchanging more big strikes. Um, Just a war back and forth between these two. Into the third, you can see the effects of these two rounds have uh, been felt by both men. They have slowed down. Uh, Ivanov tries again for his guillotine, can't apply it, and there's this flurry at the end by Lewis that I think was enough to win him the round with this left uppercut and a knee. Um, I think you can make the argument that Lewis won all three of these rounds, um, but certainly wins this fight. The judges had it. Derek Lewis, by split decision, 30-27, 29-28, and one did score at 29-28 for Ivanov. Uh, how do, How was your card on this fight? Uh, I had it 29-28. Um, I didn't think it was inconceivable that Ivanov won this. I mean, it was a, it was a tight fight. It, 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 Lewis definitely landed the bigger shots, um, but Ivanov landed himself, and he had, you know, takedowns and submission attempts uh, as well. Um, but uh, Derek Lewis is uh, very good at getting up. I mean, really the only person who could keep him down was Daniel Cormier. He just has a way, like, especially if you go to side control – he gets an underhook and then he just finds a way to stand up and then he just unleashes. And, uh, yeah, he, he definitely looked, he's sort of been on this like leaner path for a while. He's, he's, he's starting to get better and yeah, his physique is changing and, um, he went for a takedown in this and he got a takedown, uh, in the first round, I think it was. Um, so he, he, he's becoming a little more well-rounded and, uh, he got a well-deserved victory, but even off looked, good as well in this fight i mean tough as nails yeah yeah it took a lot of big strikes especially from Derek lewis uh so to be able to absorb those was a credit to him and then afterwards uh Derek lewis had his post-fight interview with joe rogan and addressed the president and talked about a lot of bad shit going on at the white house and you've got to turn this around in 2020 hey you know inspire you know inspire the president why not i guess yeah, I, I wanted to get more from Derek Lewis here. I wanted to th- know what his opinion is of the <laughs> no, pending impeachment wanna, hearings. And- I don't want to get any more because he followed up with something that was like I didn't even really quite hear, but I didn't want to hear because it sounded really off. So, 
Oh, I, I missed this, so I, I don't uh, know what you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, he he made he made some type of crass comment, and Joe Rogan, and then he sort of like immediately apologized for it, and Rogan caught it, and he said, "Okay, just chill out, buddy. Okay, we're moving on." <laughs> it was. Uh, it might be worth. Maybe it's not worthwhile to review it. Well, that's that's kind of the the trap he's in now. He's got to be able to top his his past interviews, and he's got to go that direction, I guess, or at least feels he has to. Stephen Thompson, Vicente Luque was after that. This was an awesome fight. I thought th- this was everything that uh, the last fight really was not. This was a, a great technical fight. Uh, Luque won the first fight. He outstruck him by um, a pretty pretty decent amount here, and it looked like he was going to uh, threaten to stop uh, Stephen Thompson. He stunned him at one point and just a lot of effective strikes. But in the second round, you could see uh, Stephen Thompson truly finding his groove here. He was very light on his feet, had a lot of success with the sidekick that dropped Luke several times in this fight and was able to stun him, go back and forth between stances and just hitting punches from so many different angles, also with both hands. And this continued into the third. This I, I went with a 10-8 in the third because I thought Thompson just dominated this round. He dropped him twice in this round. He was attacking the body, which was a, a, a successful theme we we saw throughout the night of guys just continually attacking the body and it really paid dividends for many fighters on this card and uh, at the end just stunned him and hit a spin kick to the body. Judges had it 30-26 twice, 29-27 and I thought this was the best Stephen Thompson's looked in, in quite some time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, crazy enough, you know, Stephen Thompson was outclassing Jorge Masvidal not that long ago. And, uh, you know, he had a tough at, loss. At Madison Square Garden That's two years right. ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he had a tough loss and, you know, took time off. Looked good here to ate some big shots. Vincente Luque came out and, you know, he had a good game plan, right? He attacked with the leg kicks and used that to get inside and land a lot of shots that really were staggered. Uh, uh, Thompson had had him on the back foot and, uh, it, but, you know, as the fight wore on, that game plan turned into what he was just used to doing, which was waiting forward in that classical sort of boxing style. And that just it became tailor made for uh, Thompson and he adjusted well and just picked him apart at distance. I mean, the amount of like straight lefts that he landed right up the middle were it was it was brutal. He dropped him in the second as well. Like uh I think some yeah, the, I mean, it w- it was a, kind of a masterclass in the technique uh of uh Stephen Thompson. Yeah. I mean, he was uh yeah, he looked great here and Vicente Luque has a very I think overlooked record. He's he coming into this fight, he had won his last 6 and was 10 and 2 in the UFC so uh a quality win for Stephen Thompson and a, and a necessary one for him after those losses to uh, Darren Till and Anthony Pettis second from the top was Kelvin Gastelum and Darren Till moving up to middleweight and first of all just from a a visual perspective Stunning that Darren Till was fighting at 170 pounds. He dwarfed Kelvin Gastelum, another guy who struggled greatly to make 170 once upon a time. But man, I, I just I couldn't fathom Darren Till fighting at 170 pounds here. Yeah, it's crazy. And even at 185, like it looks like he could fill out a little more. 
Like it's yeah, not like, like he, he'd probably be a small, light heavyweight, but not not grossly oversized. Like he is a big dude, and like the guy's uh, dude's six feet and seventy four and a half inch reach. Like not inconceivable numbers for um, you know the, your your biggest middleweights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He de- it, it, and it lo- and you could tell in this fight, right? Like he had. Even though at points in the sort of the clinch game he didn't have the the best technique, but he could he could lean on his size to to turn and to to lean on Gastelum as well. Um, so it, you know he he's a big boy, that's for sure. So uh, Till is attacking him with leg kicks. Uh, landed a couple of of combinations here, but it seemed both were were extremely tentative um, at times. But it was Till certainly much more aggressive, and Gaslam just seemed to have. No answer for Darren Till and dealing with him. In the second, Gaston landed this elbow off the break, and then there was an eye poke to Till, so he had a, a brief timeout there, and they showed the replay. This was a nasty eye poke, but Till just uh, gutted through and continued, and he was winning the exchanges. Very, very little action here. Into the third, Gaston stunned him with a left hand and then got a pair of takedowns near the end, but Till popped right back up. Uh, Darren Till wins this fight by... Split decision. We had thirty twenty seven for Till, thirty twenty seven for Gastelum, and twenty nine twenty eight as Sanity prevailed. As did Darren Till, winning this by split decision. Um, I don't care who you are. I I don't think there is another human being on this earth who scored this fight thirty twenty seven than this one judge for Kelvin Gastelum. It's it's barely conceivable that you could give both one and two to Gaston. Like it's no, like you, no. you'd, you'd have to be like really struggling. The the only argument would be three. There there was no argument for yeah. one two. I mean, um, it, it, th- this was a perplexing three rounds. Someone watched these 15 minutes and concluded every five minutes, Calvin Gaston, man, this guy's looking great. This was uh, a hore- one of the all-time bad scorecards and a pretty terrible fight as well that will only be remembered for a really terrible scorecard. Yeah, I mean, the, the fight was great. I don't know if it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible maybe compared to some of the more thrilling fights. I mean, we got some really exciting fights. And, and if you told me ahead of time that this was going to be like the one of the more lackluster fights on the card, I would have been surprised. But there was there was a lot of technique. These are these were really tough, you know, really skilled guys. And uh, the way that Gastelum was hiding hit the injury to the leg, lead leg was, you know, is very impressive. And you know, he, he he's trying to create openings so he can get inside. He's he's weaving and moving in creative waves, and it doesn't create a lot of you know actual uh, action in the sense that where he lands, but. Um, I, I still find it interesting, the attempts and, and trying to solve those puzzles. Yeah. Um, Darren Till, I mean, better for him. He gets this win and continues at middleweight because I, I would hate to see this guy uh, drop a fight here and think, well, I, I'm giving up size, which would be a, a completely ridiculous conclusion to come to. So continues at middleweight, but I, I think Kelvin Gastelum – really dropped his stock here because he was coming off a, a fight of the year contender with Israel Adesanya. And I think this really cooled him off like a unspectacular performance. And 
you know, middleweight, it's got, it's got its contenders. And this is kind of a step back for Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, that I definitely agree with. And certainly, I mean, you know, Darren Till, way to bet on yourself, right? Like, I'm going to move up to new division. Let me take on the guy who just took the champ, you know, you know, five hard rounds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he puts himself right in contention. So good on him. Main event, the one that everyone was looking forward to. Before the principal fighters came out, The Rock's theme song hit, and he came out with the baddest motherfucker championship. What what was going through your mind, Phil, as The Rock came out here in Madison Square Garden with this title? You know, I was just having fun. It was fun. You know, I was having a good time. That's that's it. It like it was cheesy, but I was embracing the cheese, you know? Give what it do you to think me. what do you think about his announcement about doing the, the biopic on Mark Kerr? You know, I think it's great. I think and I think uh I love uh, you know, I it's it's a the the only way it's a it would have to be a dramatic role. It's oh, yeah, a, yeah, it's definitely. a dark it's a dark story. Like it's there's and that there's no real I mean, any action, MMA action is would be early or midway through the story, right? Because the guy's life, you know, takes a dark turn. And um that would have to be part of it. So I think from that perspective it's interesting because that's something that The Rock has not really shown. I, I mean I can't think of any true dramatic roles that he's had. Maybe I'm sure somebody could correct me. I'm not up on that that well. So uh, for the two fairy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those, for those that are, uh, have not seen the, the smashing machine documentary, it's fantastic. If you have not seen it, it was a documentary that came out in 2002 on Mark Kerr and it's, it's brutally honest he is uh, very open about his painkiller abuse um, that plagued him throughout his career. And this was a guy who at one time was an elite level heavyweight and just kind of flamed out because of uh, dependency issues. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a story that has its rise, but it's more punctuated by the fall than the rise. So it'll be a very interesting way that they adapt his uh, – yeah, his life story into this because the documentary is held in pretty high regard by people that uh, were around and and remember seeing it. Or we'll uh, go check it out. So one thing I wanna I do want to say about this is like, okay, The Rock is interested in doing this, and that, that's that's great, and that I mean he's the biggest movie star in the world, so that is hopefully it happens. But uh, from what I was reading, it doesn't sound like this movie is in really happening yet and that makes me feel like this is sort of like a way to get the ball rolling on it a little bit you know no no studios attached to it it's yeah it's pretty much it's been an announcement so far that's it yeah so it's like it's almost like he's shopping it at this point so we'll see but i mean look he's a big star if he wants to make it i'm sure he can get it made yeah with him in the lead role you would you would think that that would be um uh, of interest, but you know he attached his name to uh, the movie, uh, the fighting for my family, the about Paige, the WWE women's wrestler, and and that one had 
trouble finding a studio, even with the Rock's company attached to it. So what's that? What's I am I have. It was it was nothing. it was similar. It was like a, a biopic on one of the female performers in WWE that does, his production does, company produced. Does she have a good story? It's an interesting one. They they did like um like a biography on her like it's her whole family that's involved with wrestling and it aired in the uh-huh. UK. So it was based off of um like a, a, a short documentary on the family that aired in the UK. So they it, it's kind of similar, the the same kind of uh inspiration here, taking a, a documentary and turning it into a feature film. Got it. Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz. Two guys that could easily have biopics written about them. Masvidal uh, comes out to the theme from Scarface. Nate Diaz flanked by his brother Nick, who, you know, there there's certain things you just don't want to see. Nick Diaz, uh, all uh, decked out in Reebok gear, is one of them. And Nick Diaz staying true to himself. No Reebok gear as he walks out here. Granted, he was not in his brother's corner, so I guess did not require it. But just Nick being Nick here. It was quite the scene. It was amazing. The first time they put him on camera, like it's like the crowd just went absolutely nuts. And he just gave zero Fs at all. It was like, oh, what, what, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's awesome. really amazing just to watch like – the charisma these Diaz brothers have and coupled with Masvidal, like just superstars. These you, know, guys. you know what I loved? I love – I mean I, I'm not uh, much for social media, but they have uh, – it was the Instagram videos that Nate posted of them in the middle of New York just like, oh, you know, you know my boys have arrived and they're just in some intersection, you know, New York City. Like this is weigh-in day or the day before the weigh-ins and like – I love it. So the fight begins, uh, including Dan Mergliata giving the pre-fight instructions that this is to determine the baddest mother effer, which is just something else to hear. So this fight begins with a flurry from Masvidal connecting with an elbow and this brutal kick cutting open Nate Diaz instantly. And Masvidal is on top of him and attacking him. But... Gives Diaz ample time to recover off of his back before finally letting him up. And, you know, it was a solid round for Masvidal, though Diaz did have his moments late in the round where he started to attack with the right hand and had some momentum by the time this ended. So set up for an interesting second round. But Masvidal had other plans here because he went right back. He was focusing on the body a lot and landing with his right hands. And these were big shots that Masvidal was landing. Uh, several hooks to the body, landed a knee from the clinch. And Diaz tries to roll. Masvidal stays on top. And late, Diaz tried for a knee bar that was unsuccessful. So Masvidal well ahead on the scorecards, two rounds in. The third, it's much of the same here. And this is where Dominic Cruz is noting that there's a big discrepancy here because Diaz does not throw a lot of leg kicks, and he's got two weapons, whereas Masvidal has four, and he's utilizing all of them. Uh, Masvidal landed a right, continued to attack the body with some blistering kicks, and then Diaz is on his back, and he's throwing strikes, but Masvidal offsets that with several big elbows, and he's going around the cut here of Nate Diaz, and after the third round, the doctor is checking on the on the fight, on the cut, And there's one on his cheek, but the more concerning one is above the eye, and the doctor waves it off, and the crowd is livid. 
It ends after three rounds due to a doctor's stoppage. So Jorge Masvidal wins the fight by TKO. How did you feel first about the fight and then second, the stoppage? So the fight up until that point, it was it was pretty much delivering on everything we thought. It, it, it was just it was these two guys going at it. Um, yeah, Masvidal was ahead, but Nate was still in it. He was finding moments to land shots. Um, Masvidal was definitely winning and, and putting on him and also, you know, putting it on him in a very tactical, paceful way. So, uh, that I think he was prepared for rounds four and five. Uh, but then, yeah, we got the stoppage and it was pretty unfortunate. I think it was a pretty bad stoppage. The cut was significant. Um, but it was a bad cut. Yeah, it was, it was a bad cut. Um, but you know, you generally, the idea behind stopping it for a cut is because it's, you know, it's the blood is flowing into the eye and it's preventing them from, you know, it's like they don't have vision or it's closing their eye, but that wasn't the case here. Now it certainly was affecting him. Uh, Nate kept pawing at it in the second round, but it seemed like in the third round it got, you know, closed up good enough that it wasn't too bad but look i'm not a doctor um so who am i to say yeah i you know everyone wants to see the fight continue in particular because it's nate diaz and you have seen these big comebacks late in the fight that said this was a dominant fight by jorge masvidal up to this point like he was well ahead on the scorecards i i didn't feel robbed that this fight was uh ended like I felt that Jorge Masvidal had won this fight, but yeah, you 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 are left with the the what if question at the end of this. But it, it was a it was a pretty bad cut, but it also did not appear to be a cut that was going to be affecting the vision of Diaz. Though you know you could see the swelling beginning, and it's probably going to look horrendous tomorrow. But Masvidal and Nate Diaz, they were both in agreement that they wanted to run this fight back. Uh, Masvidal took issue with the crowd booing, saying, I'm not the doctor that stopped this, so don't you dare boo me. And I will say, for all that was built up about The Rock crowning the uh, the winner here and presenting the belt, it was a pretty nothing ceremony here. He just, you know, handed the belt, and then he was out of there. It was uh, pretty nondescript. And that's how it ended. And I don't know how much you stuck around after the in cage portion because then Anik, Cruz and Rogan do their little sign off at the end reflecting on the night and Rogan's asking about like what happens with this BMF title and Anik's like you know you you don't have to worry so much about this BMF title he's like no are we gonna have these titles in every division is it gonna be defended like what's going on here and it's like you know people compare us to pro wrestling now we've got The Rock handing out UFC titles Kane Velasquez is off doing pro wrestling. What's going on here? <laughs> it just seemed like Cruz and Rogan were just perplexed at what is going on. That seemed to be their their question to end the show. It was quite something. Well, I mean, it, the the ending was dizzying. You know, we we were it, we were hoping for so much and we didn't quite get it. And now, you know, I think the general consensus was, you know, this was just a fun event. This was like two great fighters getting together. It, the title, the BMF title was just a silly thing, but it was just fun. And now because the ending is not a hundred percent conclusive and they want to run it back, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to run it back and let's say Nate wins, 
Are you going to mail him the BMF title? Like, what are you going to do then? Like, yeah. is, is it going to be like how uh, Paulo Filio sent uh, Chael <laughs> the t- title back in the day? Well, at at the end of all of this, um, Jorge Masvidal leaves with the championship, and then he left with a belt. Yeah, he he is left. It, he is left it a championship? It's not a championship. Well, it's I will say what to me. What the significance of this this main event was was that when you have a fight that is big enough, you don't need to have a championship. And you know, there was not all that long ago the idea of them headlining a pay per view uh, with these two who are not the champion in their division was pretty far fetched. And I hope that this gives the UFC some leniency that you know you don't have to have a championship fight if you have the fight that people want to see and people didn't give a shit that these two were fighting for this this made up title they just wanted to see this fight and i, I think that this opens the doors that you know if you have that that large attraction it, it doesn't really matter like um yeah so i, I think so, that's kind of the the legacy of this so what you're telling me is that conor mcgregor will not be the cone main event of his next uh fight do you feel Conor McGregor is going to fight on January 18th as we yes. speak on November 3rd? Do you think that's going to happen? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm uh you're skeptical, eh? I'm definitely skeptical, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess yeah, I I mean I, I mean I'm certainly not definitive in my position, but yeah, I mean he wants it. Cerrone makes perfect sense. It's lined up. I mean it, tonight would have been the night to announce it, really, but um I don't know, maybe in the next couple of days. So uh, a few notes. Uh, Dana White's doing his uh, post-fight press conference as we speak. Uh, Some notes here. Dana White, not overly interested in a rematch between Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. You know, it was a special thing. Don't poison the well. Wait it out. You can run it back in 18 months or two years or something. I, I think it's okay. The bigger news, though, Phil. Uh oh. Dana White says that I know what it is. Caitlin Jukagian will get the I next flyweight title fight. Oh, you beat me to it. No. Of all the times, of uh, the go-to answer whenever he is asked, <laughs> we don't we don't make fights. Uh, we don't make fights right after. Uh, we we got to sit down and talk about things. No, this one's too big. We are verbally committing it to it now. Caitlin Chukagian, she will get the next shot. At Valentina Shevchenko. Okay. Well, look, maybe maybe her hope is that this that Valentina's kryptonite is this like red hair that she now has because maybe she doesn't perform optimally with this red hair. Okay. Well, even though even though it looks fantastic. Oh yes, Valentina, keep it up. Love it. Uh, they did 20,143 for a gate of $6,575,996.19. Fantastic. That's not the highest gate that they've done there. They did a bigger gate with Connor. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what's your pick for fight of the night? I'll tell you if you do, do you know what the answers are. Uh, I would, my speculation would be, uh, Thompson versus, uh, Luke that would, I would pick that as my fight of the night. Um, I mean, Lewis Ivanov was pretty good too. Um, and then performance bonuses, I mean, you got to give Kevin Lee one. 
Um, Burgos looked good too. Um, there you go. Stephen Thompson, Vicente Luque, fight of the night, performance of the night, Kevin Lee and Corey Anderson. Corey, oh yeah, Corey Anderson for sure. Yeah, Corey poor, Anderson. Poor Edmund Shabazian. There, yeah, there were a number of guys you yeah, could have uh, uh, yeah. given bonuses to, and this one, uh, uh, Jer, uh, Jerzino Rosenstruck. Yes, that was a pretty yes. vicious one. So, I mean, th- those televised prelims. As I'm just looking at them, what a you, you had the Jerzino uh, Rosenstruck, Edmund Shabazian, Shane Burgos, and Corey Anderson winning on the televised. Th- those are some solid prelims that there, that you had. There was, I mean, this this event was leading, and then even after the Kevin Lee knockout, like, and even into the heavyweight fight, and even this Thompson fight because oh, of how good yeah. it was. I mean, it it, it really it felt like, it was a great stretch. Yeah, we, like we were on the cusp of this being maybe you know the greatest event ever, and it just it tapered off. It didn't, and thankfully, it didn't go off a cliff or anything. But it just kind of just like. Eh, 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 eh. I still think you got a great main event. It was an yeah, unfortunate yeah, it was ending, it was, but it, it was, was still good. a. I don't think you feel you. It would have been one thing if the, you know there had been a cut stoppage in the first round, but you got well, three rounds out of them. That you know, in the old days, that would have been the length of the main event in a non-title fight. So yeah, and, and you know, you know, I don't think we we didn't actually even spend really any time praising just Jorge Masvidal. Like he, you know, oh, he, he was. He was he was outstanding tonight. Never tired in this fight. Like dealt with the pace of Nate Diaz, and man, his right hand had a ton of power behind it. The body kicks were brutal. Like this guy, you know, t- to be honest, like Nate, a rematch with Nate Diaz would certainly, I would say, monetarily would be a big deal for him. But, um, you know, he's really po- he's really positioned himself. Uh, ultimately, I think him and Colby would be an enormous fight at 170 pounds. Kamaru Usman's a really bad style fight for him, but um, that's, you know, he to me is the guy you would want challenging for the title next coming out of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe, and maybe that is Dana White's hesitation to go to this rematch is because, you know, they're pivoting Masvidal for the title winner. Uh, yeah. And I think also the fact that it was fairly, it was pretty one sided. Like, yeah, I mean, look, I love Nate and. I wanted to see four and five and I have faith that he's going to bring it harder in four and five as well. But Masvidal was very well paced in this fight. Like he, he, he wasn't, you know, the reason why he didn't try to finish Nate in the first, when he had him hurt after that kick was because he knew, and he's having a good time in there too. He's having fun. He's dancing a little bit, you know, they're talking to each other. He's smiling, you know, maybe a little too much. He's eating some shots and, and, and Nate was coming on stronger, but, uh, in general, just, you know, Masvidal doing fantastic. And, you know, may, we'll see what the pay-per-view buys are, but it seems like he's in another stratosphere of superstardom now. Yeah, I'm just looking at so uh the judges scorecards at the end of the fight had Masvidal up 30-26 on two scorecards and 30-27 on the other. So really really no surprise there. And Dana White adding nothing is done between Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone. Um but that that was all he was reiterating. And he's saying Alexander Gustafson definitely wants to fight again. So there are some of your news and notes from Dana White's press conference afterwards. <laughs> And that's going to bring an end to this show. Uh, Phil, we've got one more pay-per-view this year. A stack card in Vegas next month. 
three title fights, John, and we don't have daylight savings to save us an hour. Oh, I love this right now. We it just became an hour back so it's only 1 30 right now when it should have been 2 30 i love this i've got my second wind i'm all set <laughs> phil's about to die so we're gonna we're gonna sign off now but uh will you be joining me next month phil you, you don't have any vacations coming up you're gonna you're gonna be here after 2 45 uh I, actually i'm not 100 let me see the, oh dear oh dear is there one okay wait what is the date of that event december 14th Sorry, one, two. I think so. I think so. It makes sense. Yes, I believe I will be available that day. Yes. You can't, you can't miss this one. We have got Kamaru think... Usman, Colby Covington, Max yeah. Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, Amanda Nunez, Jermaine Durandamy, Marlon Marias versus Jose Aldo at Bantamweight. Jose Aldo making Bantamweight, which is un- just – I cannot comprehend. And Uriah Faber against Piotr Jan. Ben Saunders versus Matt Brown. Very solid card to end off the year. Absolutely. Very solid card. I mean, that Kamaru uh, versus Colby fight should be great. I mean, Colby looked really awesome in his last fight. And Kamaru's looked so dominant in the UFC that it's really intriguing. This is a really – I mean – if Colby wins this fight, and like that would set up a huge fight with Masvidal. So – Pretty yeah, interesting. I, I, I think either way you could go with uh, obviously Masvidal Covington. I think is the big fight for next year. But yeah, we shall see. Very interesting card next month. So that is when we will be back. Of course, uh, each week you can catch five questions with Phil Chairtalk up at postwrestling.com. What five questions will be coming Phil's way? We will find out this week. So stay tuned for that. Phil, thank you as always for joining me. Thank you. All right, that is it. Phil is off the bed. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll be I'll be all left alone here to uh, just just contemplate the uh, the world of mixed martial arts by my lonesome. So thank you to all for listening. Uh, Way and I are going to be back Sunday night. We're going to have a uh, a show for cafe members with a review of New Japan's Power Struggle. Are you going to stay up and watch Power Struggle, Phil? It starts in 25 minutes. Uh, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to struggle whatsoever going <laughs> to bed. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.